Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Welcome aboard, my minions. My name's Tom Marquis El Presidente. You have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And also, welcome aboard to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great land of the United States. It is a great weekend to be an American. It does not get any more American than this weekend. Of course, I'm referring to the Super Bowl weekend. we got a lot to unpack for the Super Bowl. We're going to be talking some racing here in just a moment. But for the most part, all weekend. And then we have our full Super Bowl show tomorrow, our annual Super Bowl special. So we have a lot of Super Bowl talk for you, as if we would have anything different. Ed Kratz, our official uh, NFL contributor and beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, for USA Today has planted himself this week in the great city of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and it's going to be giving us a call <clears throat> from Minneapolis this morning and talk with us about all the excitement about what's going on up there in the frozen uh, tundra, if you will. Of course, Rick Riggin and Mo from the BS uh, Sports Show will be joining us, but standing by in the balanced green room is uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. We're going to break down last week's uh, 24-hour uh, 24-hour Rolex uh, race in Daytona. Uh, take a look at what's going on, uh, maybe a little bit in IndyCar. And, of course, next weekend, the granddaddy of them all, the Great American Race, and that's the Daytona 500. And we'll have a lot of talk about the Daytona 500 next weekend as well. My name is Saul Mark Wassell, Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. You're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new Beat Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? And welcome back to the balance. My name is Tom Marquis El Presidente. All right, let's get into our racing talk for this week. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor and uh, all around uh, racing expert, uh, joins us. Good morning, Matthew. How are you, sir? No thrills, huh? Thank you if you're a fan of the American teams. Uh, last week at the Rolex 24, you got what you wanted. I mean, you have Cadillac winning the race. Granted, not the car that we expected to win. Action Express dominating the race, playing a whopping 808 laps, setting a new distance record. And then the American cars dominating GTLM, uh, Ford going 1-2, Corvette going 3-4. So I think headed to Sebring in March, uh, the Americans have a lot to be proud of right now. Well, I'll tell you what, I really enjoyed watching it. I have to admit, I tried to make it through the entire race, uh, but I did. I had it on the app on my phone, so I, I like the in-car views to myself. That's pretty cool. Uh, so I did at least have that on most of the time, even if I fell asleep and it was still on. So I think that counts that I that I still had it on. But i tell you what, you're right. The Americans uh, uh, came out in full force, and, you know, certainly uh, it was it was good to see a good showing of, uh, of uh, uh, Chip Canassi's team and so. So talk with us a little bit about how these teams were made up, 
Uh, and certainly, as we know, the, the Cadillac prototype uh, won the Rolex uh, 24, which is a pretty nice uh, watch. Uh, I believe Graham Rahal was on that team, and Scott Dixon as well. But it was certainly a Chip Canassi put, uh, to get put together team. So talk with us about that team, and certainly uh, uh, give us some insight about some of the other teams. What uh, what unfolded over a 24-hour period? Because that is a long race uh, to try to keep track of. Yeah, good stuff for Bourdais and Dixon at Ganassi uh, with the Fords. Pretty much had a field day with the field. Uh, Corvette finished third and fourth. Uh, disappointment posted by Doug DM. I don't think he should be disappointed. Remember, this is an aging car with the C7R, where it still runs normally aspirated engine. It gets all these twin turbo, V6, V8, whatever you want to call it, turbo engines that are in the class. So the fact that they are still getting podiums, I'd say that's something to be thrilled of with, you know, a kind of an outdated technology with the way the regulations are going. And then uh, for Axis Express to get the victory the way they did with Christian Fittipaldi and company, uh, Joao Barbosa, Felipe Alcuquerque, a dominating performance. Uh, disappointment, though, for Graham Rahal and Team Penske. Uh, got into incident with another car and then had a mechanical failure, I think a suspension failure on the other car. So, uh, Penske was right up there with the Acres. I think they lasted longer than I thought they would. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, a couple of bad breaks caught them out. And then uh, Nissan had a bad performance. Mazda with Team Yost was never a factor. So uh, Cadillac's looking good right now headed to Sebring. And I think they went 8 out of 10 last year as far as race wins in the IMSA championship. Uh, they could be very well on their way there. And it's not just because uh, – you know, the regulations or whatever are in their favor. They have a very solid car and a very strong performance car with this low downforce setup. Uh, may not work at some of the street circuits and some of the tighter venues, but on these tracks like Daytona and Sebring, possibly Petit Le Mans with these long straightaways, uh, that car is the ticket to have right now as far as running up front uh, in the prototype division. Well, talk with us a little bit about Acura. I know Acura showed uh, uh, that it had really what it, it had a good makeup, if you will, uh, to be a good team in the Rolex. And, and for the most part, it was pretty much uh, competitive at Daytona. Well, Team Penske is the perfect matchup for them, isn't it? Uh, I think right now if they had paired up with anybody else, I think they would have had a much troubled, more troubled run than they did. I mean, it's not to say Penske is going to be foolproof and, you know, set the world on fire on day one, and they almost did, at least if it was a 12-hour race, they might have done it. But uh, I think you look ahead to Sebring, uh, they have to be right up there with um, Axis Express, Wayne Taylor Racing Spirit of Daytona uh, as far as contending. And let's face it, uh, even the Cadillac wasn't foolproof. Uh, Spirit of Daytona blew an engine before the midway point. Uh, Wayne Taylor Racy had a multiple, I think they had like five or six rear tire blowouts during the race before they finally parked the car. So, uh, yes, I mean, Cadillac down here with Axis Express, but I don't believe that they are infallible at this point. The problems start that affected WTR and Spirit of Daytona start going to Axis Express. Uh, we could see a chain of the guard potentially at Sebring from that point, but uh, still, they are the car to be at this moment. I think you could say the same thing about Ford and GTLM. And I think for a case, you could say the same thing about Lamborghini and GTD as well. Even though GTD was very competitive among the manufacturers, in the end, Lamborghini had the extra pace to hold off and take the win uh, 
I believe, with uh, Mirko Bottolotti and the uh, Land Motorsport team uh, this past weekend. Well, I certainly want to move on to some uh, uh, conversations about IndyCar and, and uh, get a little peek into next week's Daytona 500. Uh, but real quickly, uh, wrap it up and, and uh, put a recap on last week's uh, Rolex 24. What are some of the takeaways? What are some of the lessons that we learned? What are some of the things that maybe we saw uh, from drivers and teams that might give us a little hint of what's going on into their perspective racing series? Cadillac's the team to beat, certainly, in prototype. Acura, I think, is still a threat. But Penske, when the shorter, when we get into the sprint races, they can certainly rack up a few wins. Ford's and Chevrolet, I think, are the challengers right now. I think BMW's new car, though, will be a much better contender as the year progresses with that M8. And then, obviously, uh, you look at GTD right now. The question is, uh, will the competition, will there be a team that breaks out? Uh for instance, we saw, for instance, Wright Motorsports uh, run potentially got ruined uh, with a crash even before the race started, uh, you know, last Saturday. So for a team like Christina Nielsen's Wright Motorsports team, a uh, chance for redemption certainly at Sebring. But, uh, yeah, the big story right now is Cadillac's got something going, Ford's got something going right now, and they have set themselves as the early favorites uh, for the WeatherTech Championship, even though we still got several weeks to go. Fantastic. We're talking with uh, Matthew Embry of At Open Wheel Now, uh, our official IndyCar contributor, and uh, talking some racing uh, with him. Certainly, we've got a few more weeks before we jump into uh, IndyCar next week. Uh, we start the uh, NASCAR season off. Uh, they certainly have the shortest uh, break, if you will, off season, if you will, of all of the racing circuits. Uh, so the Daytona 500 is next week. But I'll talk with, so we'll talk with you a little bit about some pretty big news, especially for those of us that are in uh, IndyCar groupies like you and I, uh, IndyCar is going to be doing some testing on an experimental uh, uh, widescreen on the track with Scott Dixon, I believe on February 8th in Phoenix. I believe that's the date. I could have the date wrong. Uh, so talk with us a little bit about what this uh, widescreen on uh, track uh, windshield is going to look like and what it's going to do. Well, after the death of Jeff, Justin Wilson at Pocono a couple of years ago, they've been looking for a way to protect the driver's head. And this windscreen is the latest attempt to try to do that uh, as opposed to what we see with Formula One with the halo and some people calling for a complete driver's canopy or capsule cockpit. Uh, so it's not a full encapsulation. There is an opening there. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how this affects aerodynamics and if this does indeed prove to be effective as far as defogging, all that stuff. So that can be used potentially for, you know, the high-speed oil events where there's a lot of flying debris, especially with the way these cars come apart when they make contact with the outside wall. Well, you know, I'm looking at the pictures of this prototype uh, windscreen. I know it's probably nothing that they're going to get enacted this year. Uh, but you look at the, the safety things around this. I think that this is a fantastic move in the right direction. Now, the unfortunate question that I have to ask, you know, we did lose Justin Wilson because of this, and we and we have seen uh, significant uh, issues. And this has gotten a lot of pushback from drivers themselves as they felt like that it might obstruct the view for them. But I'm looking at this, and it doesn't look like, it, to me, it would, would do that. So what are we hearing from the drivers? Uh, what are the pushbacks from it? And unfortunately, it had to take some somebody dying for them to get these safety procedures in place. 
Well, the fog up issue right now and whether or not they'll have clear vision is the only is the main concern. That's part of the reason why the canopy idea didn't take flight because they are worried about the fogging issue and be able to defog it. Uh, that's why it's in experimental mode right now. Hopefully, by not being a fully encapsulated system, that it will not the fog issue will not be a factor. And uh, hopefully, like you said, by 2019, uh, this will become operational potentially for the Indianapolis 500. And big stuff, obviously, down the road. You look ahead to some events and a few other things. Uh, obviously, for the high-speed ovals, it will be big because we saw a lot of big accidents uh, at Daytona, or excuse me, at Indianapolis and Texas this past year. So, certainly, they can have this system in play by then for those events. Looking ahead to possibly 2019. Uh, this would be a big deal and a big uh, lifesaver potentially because, uh, like we said, we saw some pretty nasty accidents. Obviously, the Board A accident at Indy this past year comes to mind. Uh, Scott Dixon's airborne accident at Indy comes to mind. And then there was a couple of uh, wild accidents in recently, including the one involving Joseph Newgarden at Texas a couple of years ago. So, yeah, it, a couple near uh, close shaves there that really don't want to get involved with anymore, and hopefully uh, this will be uh, protect further protection of the drivers and one that will stick. Talking with Matthew Embry of at Open Wheel now, our official IndyCar contributor. Matt, next weekend is the granddaddy of them all, as they say, the great American race, if you will. And I know that, uh, that there was a lot of Correct. pushback that, from uh, Dave. Correction, that's the qualifying weekend is next weekend. It's eight, the 18th oh, of uh, the race. So, yeah, the shootout and the poll day are next weekend, not uh, the race itself. Yeah, okay. My apologies for that. Either which way, we see NASCAR on the track next weekend at Daytona 500. Uh, with at the day, and you know, I was gonna say is I don't know if you follow. I follow all of the tracks on Twitter and so forth, and I noticed a, a, a Daytona uh, track uh, getting a lot of pushback for what they said the All American race. The the uh, and, and a lot of IndyCar fans were saying, wait, 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 wait. You guys are nowhere on our level. Complete ridiculousness uh, for the, the the social media fights that happen. Uh, if you're a NASCAR fan. Uh, the Daytona 500 is the All-American race. If you're a NASCAR fan, you are uh, pretty much, I would say, uh, I, I know I'm going to put some stereotype labels on you, but you're All-American. So for uh, for the uh, Daytona track to send out a tweet that they're the All-American race is absolutely the truth. And to get the, the, the pushback from IndyCar fans who don't really like NASCAR anyway, a lot of them, uh, to me, was absolutely ridiculous. Well, the one thing I'd be concerned about for the Great American Race is are they going to have a full field? Because right now, I count only 37 guaranteed entries for the 500 right now. And those are the 36 chartered entries and then one non-chartered entry that's planned on running the full schedule. And that's, I believe, the double zero entry that I think that was named for Jeffrey Earnhardt this past week, I think. Uh, I think Starcom is the name of it. So right now, uh, I wouldn't be, you know, jabbing the mouth right now. I think the thing I would be doing if I were Daytona and NASCAR is making sure you have a full field. Uh, 40 cars, uh, this is, remember, just as recently, a few years ago, we had 50, 60 car entry lists, and now we're struggling just to fill the field. In fact, if it stays at 40, it will be the smallest entry in the history of the Daytona 500. That's a scary thought. 
Well, and you know the thing about it is, I, we, and I think though I think they'll have a full field. You know, it's a, same a lot of the same conversation that we have here in Indianapolis with the Indianapolis 500 from year to year. Are we going to have enough cars? They, you know, they always will have 33 cars, uh, and and so the same thing with 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 NASCAR. Now, yes, do we know where all of those are going to come from? No, we don't, and it, it'll be interesting to, to, to find out what happens as the cars begin to do their qualifying next week. And one of the cars that we do know, Danica Patrick, is going to be, in fact, on the track. I don't know that we've heard a secured deal. I think that she's got she, something she, pretty much secured she, for this. So she cannot be bumped. No, absolutely. With NASCAR, I'm just saying we, we know that she's one of the guaranteed drivers. Uh, do we know if she's got a uh, secured ride for the Indianapolis 500 yet? It should be Dreyer and Reinbold. It just hasn't been confirmed yet. But Dreyer and Reinbold, along with Sage Karen, that is the hot rumor right now that they will enter two cars in that event. So, And the thing that's interesting, they announced that Schmidt-Peterson Racing has changed their second car number from 7 to 6 for Robert Wickens. I think that tells you, uh, Danica Patrick, in addition to having the number seven at the Daytona 500, you've also created the number seven probably at the Indianapolis 500 as well. Well, it's a pretty cool uh, paint scheme. Yeah. It's a pretty cool paint scheme. They uh, released that this week, and it's, it's to me, you know, I, I, I'm excited. I, I, excited might be the wrong word to use uh, for that emotion, but it'll be good to see her uh, wind up her career. I say what you want about Danica. She's uh, certainly made a lot of accomplishments uh, for women in racing and has certainly uh, made a brand for herself and a name for herself, and uh, she certainly uh, has reunited with GoDaddy, uh, if, you, if you will as a sponsor so she's got money she's got sponsor and so it is kind of neat as far as the uh uh if you want to call it uh, the retro look to see uh GoDaddy back on the car did you get a chance to see the GoDaddy uh uh number 7 car uh paint scheme I haven't seen the car personally but I got to say uh pairing her with Tony Yuri Jr as the crew chief uh, these two were oil and water when they were paired up for a limited part of I think the 2014 schedule so I think they really did Danica a disservice by pairing up with Tony Urie Jr. again for Daytona. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of storylines. There always is with the Daytona 500. One of the biggest storylines is who's not going to be there this year. And one of the biggest names that's not going to be in the Daytona 500 this year is Dale Jr. Of course, he's recently married. He's got a baby on the way. He's going to be in the broadcast booth. I know he's been up at uh, uh, Minneapolis uh, doing the uh, radio road tour, if you will, and uh, talking to uh, a lot of uh, fans uh, and trying to get that crossover fans. So he's been a very good ambassador for the sport, but we will not see him in a race car. We've also seen the retirement of uh, Tony Stewart recently, Jeff Gordon recently. So a lot of the big names, a lot of the name drawers that that uh, really affect butts in the seat, if you will, will not be racing in the Daytona 500. But, of course, we have a lot of young and up-and-coming drivers that I think, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people like to see. Chase Elliott, uh, uh, Joey, Joey Logano, many other uh, up-and-coming drivers and I'm not sure exactly who's going to be driving in uh, Dale's old car, the replacement, if you will, for Dale Jr., uh, but certainly the the effect of Dale Jr. not being in the car I think will be most noticeable by uh, NASCAR fans at the Daytona 500 this year, Matt. Well, we know Alex Bowman is now in the 88. 
We know Casey Kane was replaced in the offseason by the Xfinity Series champion, William Byron. So, And then, of course, you got Chase Elliott there with that team. So it'll be very interesting to see how, I guess, the Young Gun team now uh, fares this upcoming season because a lot of new names, a lot of new faces on that team, and a lot of inexperience. And we know how rookies usually get the uh, silent treatment at Daytona the first time around. So I'll be very curious to see uh, how this team gels uh, with so much new talent and so much, uh, I wouldn't say untested, but, you know, questionable talent if they can make it, you know, at the premier level uh, right out of the box. I mean, Jimmy Johnson could. I mean, well, year absolutely. one, year one. But I think ultimately uh, this team no, go right is ahead, going buddy. to be you know, more of an understudy than a top runner, at least in the tank. So I made the mistake when Casey Kane came in thinking that he's going to dominate with Hendrick. Didn't happen. So I'll be very curious to see how, you know, Byron, Elliott, and them fair uh, without, you know, the big mentor, Dale Jr. and Jeff Gordon, no longer part of that operation. You know, you mentioned Jimmy Johnson, and that's a key name. When we were talking about drivers not being on the track, of course, Jimmy Johnson is coming back. But we wonder how much, uh, no pun intended, how much he has left in the tank. I think uh, he still has maybe a couple of years left. But I, I don't see Jimmy Johnson being in the car more than two more years. What are your thoughts? The question in my mind with Jimmy Johnson looking ahead to Daytona is, is he going to have the friends necessary to win the race? Because you've got to have friends, you've got to have teammates. And I don't know if Chase Elliott and Byron and Bowman are at the level where they can provide the help necessary to get him a third day 2500 win. Now, at the other events where drafting help doesn't mean anything, he might be competitive there, but when we get to Daytona and Talladega, he could be at a disadvantage, Jimmy Johnson in this case. Right, absolutely. So we'll, we'll see how uh, see how things uh, uh, come together. Okay, well, it's uh, Super Bowl weekend, Matthew. Uh, it's the Eagles. It's the Patriots. Um, I know a, a lot of the drivers made their, their picks. Well, you'd be surprised. Most people uh, kind of uh, – I'm sorry, the popular route for the Patriots. But we did see a lot of numerous drivers uh, picking the Philadelphia Eagles as well. Uh, so uh, what, are your, uh, what are your thoughts uh, with the uh, uh, Super Bowl? Who do you think is going to win? What are your thoughts? I just don't see a scenario where Philadelphia can win it. I mean, I keep trying to find a way where I can avoid picking the Patriots, and I just can't do it. Uh, you have proven talent at every position there, and even when the t- starters are gone, even if they don't have Ron Gronkowski, uh, I still think uh, you have to go in the favor of the Patriots, not just because of Tom Brady, but I think they got solid players at running back. they got solid options at wide receiver and even at tight end without Gronk. Uh, and even if there is questions on the defensive side of the football, they had questions last year on the defensive side of the football, they still overcame a almost four-touchdown deficit to beat Atlanta. So if they could overcome that, uh, I just don't see a scenario with Philadelphia. Yes, Nick Foles did have a good performance in the championship game. Keep in mind, Minnesota also had a black backup quarterback in that game in Case Keenum. If this was a team that still had Carson Wentz under center, I would like their chances a whole lot more, but I just don't see them being able to score enough points to hold off Tom Brady from winning yet another championship, which would be number six uh, for Mr. Brady. 
Well, we're certainly going to get into the uh, Super Bowl talk in full force here in just a, a few moments. Uh, Ed Kratz, uh, uh, our official NFL contributor, is up in Minneapolis, and he's a beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, so I'm sure he's going to make a case for the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, I know we got to uh, end this segment here. But, you know, the Eagles, I, I like. I, I think they do have what it takes. I'm going to go against the grain on this. I think they do have what it takes to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. I think, I mean, the, the New England Patriots, the, the Eagles have a very, very strong defense. And here's the thing. The Patriots will have to come from behind because they never do take the lead in the Super Bowl. It doesn't seem that they do anyway. You also got to do, do understand the fact that the Eagles play the type of football that give the the Patriots problems. There, it's not going to be a Atlanta Falcon matchup like last year where they're where they're going to come back from twenty eight. They probably will come back and it will be a close game. I'll give you that. But I think at the end of the day. Uh, and here, also at the end of the day, uh, if Nick Foles does pull off a win for the Super Bowl, I think you got to look at a lot of NFL teams rethinking about, hey, you know, we can win with the QB2. So, anyway, Matthew Embry uh, at Indy, I mean, at Open Wheel now, our official IndyCar contributor, I'll get it straight, uh, talking some racing with us today, sir. Uh, what are your final thoughts uh, as, so we can put a wrap and a bow on the, the racing segment, sir? Well, obviously, a lot of action coming up. Uh, the test of the West this week coming up at Indiana, uh, Sonoma, then at Phoenix. We should have a clearance on who Neil Coyne race is going to sign. Uh, the only question right now is, is Zachary Coman de Mayo going to have the Indy ride, or are they going to provide four cars uh, to La Pietra Fittipaldi, the grandson of Emerson Fittipaldi, the two-time Indy champ, a chance to compete at Indy? And uh, then the engine lease thing, is it going to help out certain teams? Uh, could even possibly uh, keep a team like Lazier Parkers uh, out of the Indianapolis 500. So that's going to be a developing story at popperopenwheel.com. And uh, obviously we're going to have a lot of interviews as well coming up with drivers and transcripts. So not too much further until we get to March 11th and uh, the start of the season at St. Petersburg. And then obviously coming up for the 102nd run of the Indianapolis 500 in late May. So a lot of busy stuff coming on, and uh, looking forward to a very interesting season. And then, of course, keep in mind, uh, looking ahead to 2019, still have a TV deal to take care of. So a lot of interesting news coming up several of the next few months if you're an IndyCar fan. And then, obviously, also a title spots with Verizon not going out. So a lot of things to focus in on, and uh, certainly pop for open wheel keep you covered. Yes, absolutely. A light at the end of the tunnel. Matthew, we appreciate your time, and have yourself a, a good Super Bowl weekend, sir. Anytime, Tom. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, joins us for our racing segment. Guys, it is here. We are not going to be talking about anything else but the Super Bowl until after our Super Bowl special tomorrow. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor and all-around great guy, calls us from Evansville. And, uh... Ed Kratz is up in Minneapolis uh, in the frozen tundra, if you will. He's going to be joining us, talking with us about all the action and the excitement around the Philadelphia Eagles and the Super Bowl as well. And all of that, plus, you know, we got a couple other things in our hat. And Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us a little bit later on today. So it's about to get good. Stick around. <laughs> Dell.
double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new Beat Up Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to the balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. I tell you what, it is finally here. It was great to have Matthew Embryon, our uh, official IndyCar contributor from At Open Wheel, and now uh, joined us uh, and talked with us a little bit about some of the testing going on uh, in IndyCar for, with the new widescreen uh, shield and certainly what's going on with the uh, uh, racing segment. But I tell you what, we are getting on board now for Super Bowl. It's all Super Bowl. I've stacked the deck a little bit today. Uh, so we're going to have callers today and tomorrow. And uh, we've got some great guests lined up for tomorrow. Uh, Derek Schultz of, of the Aquarian Schultz Show, local here, 97.5 FM and Fox Sports, is going to be joining us tomorrow as well. But let's get into this conversation. Joining us uh, from uh, the frozen tundra up north is our official NFL contributor and beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, Ed Kratz. Good morning to you, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm hey, I'm trying to stay warm out here, Tom. I'm in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota, and it's snowing. 
Imagine that. Imagine that. Joining us Imagine also uh, from down in <laughs> from down in Evansville, our official college football contributor and all around great guy, Mr. Rick Riggin. Rick, how are you doing, sir? Hey, good morning, guys. Is something going on this weekend? Because I haven't heard. I haven't, I've heard a little bit about something. I'm not sure what's really going on in the world of sports. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on, and I, hey, Rick. I I've stacked the deck a little. Hey, how you doing, Ed? I've stacked the deck. Good. I, I've sta- I've stacked the deck a little bit, guys. I've got another guy calling, but he's from Evansville, but he's here in Indianapolis. He's one of my colleagues. Uh, you probably heard me talk about him on this show before, but he's a die-hard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So we'll, we'll we'll talk with him here in just a moment about the Steelers and just about the Super Bowl. And then coming up about 10 o'clock, we've got a guy who uh, also works with me who's from Boston who's a die-hard Patriots fan. So we've got the deck, deck stack, and then uh, Mo for the BS Sports Show is uh, going to join us. But Kyle, Kyle Courtney, how are you doing, sir? I'm fine. Can you hear me? We can hear you just fine, buddy. Uh, welcome on board. Welcome to the balance here. I know you're a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Sorry about your Steelers, but it's the Patriots, the Eagles, and I know you've made a case for the Patriots uh, for a while now. So we'll, we'll go ahead and start with you, Kyle, because you are our guest today. What questions do you have for Ed Kratz, uh, up at, who is up in Minneapolis, uh, for the Super Bowl, uh, certainly writing for the Philadelphia Eagles, but certainly very, very knowledgeable of both teams? Uh, yeah, I mean, when when looking at uh, some of the, the the scouting reports and everything moving forward, it really sounds like uh, Philadelphia has a pretty decent game plan going in. Um, are they looking to sort of replicate the success of the Giants, who were able to beat the Patriots the last couple of times, or are they trying to just play their own game? Well, I think that, you know, uh, let me ask you a question first. If I could, how do you become a Steelers and a Patriots fan? Uh, I thought those oh. teams were uh, oh, hated no. each I, other. I am, I am a diehard Steelers fan. Uh, I am, but I have to play for the <laughs> AFC right now. That's, that's oh, where yeah, that comes okay. from. That's cool. Yeah, I get that. Um, but yeah, you know, you're right. I think that that is how the Eagles' game plan will be uh, tailored: is to, to try to pressure Brady with four defensive linemen and actually they have eight defensive linemen because of the rotation that uh, their coordinator Jim Schwartz has used all year and they really don't miss a beat when they uh, rotate new guys in so uh, you know it's a defensive line that at this point in the year is fresh and it's a defensive line that should continue to remain fresh through 60 minutes of football on Sunday and yeah I mean that's what the Giants used to beat Brady twice was put pressure on him but as some of the Eagles defensive linemen said this week you know that can be easier said than done you know uh, mm-hmm. Tim Jernigan said there have been times I played against him when he was in Baltimore and he goes, I beat my guy clean off the line. And by the time I got to Brady within like a two seconds, the ball was already gone. So, uh, you know, I think that's how the Patriots will try to counter that is with the quick passes and, you know, hit the running backs out of the backfield. And that's going to be a tough matchup for the Eagles is those backs out of the backfield. Uh, if Brady gets his ball out quick. I'm talking uh, with Ed Kratz. That. Yeah. No, go right ahead. Sorry, Tom. Tom. Go ahead. Go I'm for sorry, it, buddy. Tom. Go ahead. No. No, it's all you, buddy. It's all you. Go ahead, man. It's all you. Man, I, I think so, – so I guess the other part of it is with the, with the matchup being what it is, uh, what is – how are they are – they, are people actually concerned about Nick Foles here, or is it just becoming a thing of he's, he's the guy now, we need to ride behind him, we have a great running game, we have a great set of weapons, and – are they are they worried that they're going to have to put the ball in his hands at the end to finish it out? 
Well, they, they're going to hope they have a lead, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and not have to really let him do too much at the end. Uh, you know, the Eagles have beaten a lot of teams by wide margins this year, including the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and when, and when you look at the Patriots who haven't – yeah, the Patriots who haven't scored a, a first-quarter point in any of their previous uh, seven Super Bowls under Belichick and Brady in the first quarter, they hadn't put up any points. And then the Eagles' propensity to get off the fast starts, I think the Eagles will try and do that. You know, they might try to take some shots early, uh, try to jump on them quickly, and then hopefully turn it over to their run game, which is pretty bruising with, uh, you know, Blunt and Jai and Corey Clement to an extent, uh, and control the clock as best as they can and keep Brady parked on the sidelines. So that's going to be their thing. And, you know, Foles played a, you know, kind of an otherworldly game last week against the Vikings. You know, the three touchdowns, he had virtually a perfect passer rating uh, in that game, completed his last 15 throws of the game. Um the thing with Nick, though, is you just never know what kind of quarterback you're going to get. I mean, he's kind of been inconsistent. You, you look at how he played at the end of the season against the Raiders and the uh, – uh, well, the Cowboys, he didn't play that long. But, you know, he struggled in the final two two or three games of the year. But he's had a terrific playoff. So, with Nick, you really don't know what you're going to get. I would think he's going to play well. He's been very calm this week. I've been kind of impressed with uh, how he's handled himself on the podium. Uh, in front of, you know, the hundreds of uh, journalists here from across the world. Uh, he's looked very calm and very collected and uh, very self-assured. So uh, I think he's going into this game confident based on how he's played lately, and I think his teammates are too. We're talking with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and Rick Riggin and Kyle Courtney joins us as well. Now, uh, Ed, I know you've sent me some pictures, and you had a lot of fun up there in Minneapolis. But talk with us a little bit about the environment about uh, Minneapolis. I know it's been very, very cold. Uh, you missed the uh, media party, I hear, and uh, from all my other friends up there, you uh, missed a pretty good time, roller coasters and free yeah. beer and free food. Uh, how could you miss something like that? I don't know. But talk, talk with us a little bit about the atmosphere, about what's going on, the excitement, the fans. How are the, how are the Viking fans and the uh, Eagle fans uh, – uh, interacting. You know, we heard a rumor that uh, Minneapolis Vikings fans were actually uh, uh, becoming Uber drivers so that they could take uh, Eagles fans to the wrong places. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Go ahead, I don't buddy. know how much I don't know how much the Eagles or the Patriots, for that matter, are really venturing out. I mean, to me, I've kind of become a mall rat uh, this week because everything is right here in the Mall of America. Uh, which is right across the street from the hotel, the media hotel. Um, but I, and that's why I missed the party. I mean, I've just been working. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of different uh, responsibilities, uh, and I've been just kind of hanging out in the mall in the media workroom and, and every now and then getting out and stretching my legs and, and walking the mall. But uh, And the players are, too. You see some of the players in the mall. And um, as far as the atmosphere goes, it was kind of most of the week. It was, it was kind of, uh, to me, it was kind of like the zombie apocalypse. There wasn't a whole lot of atmosphere or buzz. Um, you know, it was very tame. And, uh, all of a sudden Friday, yesterday, <coughs> the mall of America was jammed. You could barely walk radio row. was just so swamped. There were so many people gathered around taking pictures and all of a sudden the Eagles chant started breaking out, you know, the E-A-G-L-E-S ones and, uh, you know, I was talking to some of the fans. I talked to a Pats fan, a Patriots fan, and I, he said, uh, you know, so, you know, we used to do cheers like that, too, back when we first started winning Super Bowls, because now we just kind of know what to expect. Uh, he said, but I, I'm a big Red Sox fan, and he goes, I kind of understand how Eagles fans feel. You know, we had this chip on our shoulder as Red Sox fan until 2004 when we finally won it all. We hadn't won anything, and 
He said it was very frustrating. We were a very angry uh, fan base. And he goes, now that the Red Sox have won, and he goes, we feel better. You know, we're not as angry. You know, we have that chip off our shoulder, but I can kind of feel how the, these Eagles fans feel that with this chip on our shoulder, I can see it, which I thought was a terrific uh, analogy from this guy. Um, but, yeah, the atmosphere has really picked up. Uh, they have a ski hill downtown uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, they have skiing going on, which is pretty cool. Uh, and there's just fans have started pouring into the city beginning really Friday is when I noticed it. And, you know, I haven't been out and about yet today, but uh, I'm sure that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm planning on going to St. Paul. I'm going to the uh, awards show later tonight, uh, you know, for the uh, Hall of Fame announcement and for the uh, presentation of the, the league's, uh, you know, top honors. Uh, but I'm sure there's going to be fans all over the place today, and it's only going to pick up from here. And I, I, I sense that excitement yesterday. It was so cool, you know, to see Pats fans. And, and the Vikings fans, like you said, there's a lot of Vikings fans here, obviously. This is their home, home state, so there were a lot of Vikings jerseys. And I talked to an Eagles fan who said, you know, he goes, uh, you know, these Vikings fans, the, the Pats fans have been much nicer to them. We're getting heckled more by Minnesota fans uh, because I guess the Eagles beat the Vikings last week. And, uh, ruin their dreams of being the first team to host the Super Bowl. Uh, but he said, you know, we, Pats fans at least say, excuse me, when we're passing each other here in the mall, the Vikings fans just bump into you and they look at you like, you know, it's your fault. So, uh, you know, I think Minnesota fans are kind of giving the Eagles a little bit of treatment from last week. And Chris Maragos, one of the Eagles players, said he, he had a hard time making dinner reservations when he would call and say, you know, me and a few other Eagles, my teammates are coming out. And they he told him he was with the Eagles and, they said we don't have any room. I, three restaurants turned him and, you know, a few of his teammates down for reservations. Jeez. So, uh, yeah, so the hospitality Great. towards Eagles fans hasn't been uh, overwhelming, put it lightly. Are you saying that this is a business trip, Ed? Uh, <laughs> Rick Reagan, uh, are you? Rick Rickett, our official college football contributor. We haven't forgot you. I know you're calling us from down in Evansville as well. Kyle is from Evansville, but he lives here in Indianapolis. So we're Evansville's pretty well represented on the show today. Rick, how are you doing, sir? Hey, pretty good. Hey, you know the, uh, the 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 post office logo with the eagle on it, the post office eagle. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, okay. I don't. Uh, the post office has a the logo has an eagle on it. You know the post is okay. the I don't know. All right. So what does the uh, post office eagle and the Philadelphia Eagles have in common? Uh, they both deliver. Right. You got me. Uh, <laughs> uh, both won't deliver on Sunday. Both will, uh, both won't <laughs> deliver on Sunday. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. You're, you're you're ripping the Eagles. I get it. Rick. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> I was really you know, what I was going to say. I was, I was just going to add to uh, uh, what Kyle and Ed was talking about earlier about uh, you know, the game plan against Tom Brady. Uh, I think what the Eagles are going to really just focus on is playing the man in front of them because Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. If he's not considered that now, he will be. He's going to make his throws. He's going to make the plays. He's going to keep the Patriots in the game. Uh, the only way you beat him at this point is play the man in front of you. Uh, if they can wreak havoc with Fletcher Cox up the middle and just get pressure on him, bringing four guys, because the rest of the team is just playing, is doing their job of playing the man in front of him, uh, the man in, in front of them, that is the only way you beat Tom Brady at this point. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, that's absolutely, I mean, every, everybody has to do their job is another way to say that. And, 
you can't try to do too much. You can't go freelancing out there and get yourself out of position uh, because then that's how you get beat. So, yeah, you're right. The Eagles have to be very focused and disciplined on their jobs and not on number 12. Kyle, go right ahead, sir. You're up, buddy. I mean, I when when thinking about some of the, the, the struggles that they're – it sounds like that the Eagles really are just going to – are riding this train. Um, I wonder, and I ask the question, like, how much pressure has this team put on themselves uh, when it comes to being the first team to really break mold here when it comes to, you know, bringing a championship back to Philadelphia? And, you know, they have fans that are probably some of the most passionate fans in the entire uh, in the entire football world and, you know, greasing up light poles and do, and running into, <laughs> running into trains and all the type of stuff that, that have, have made <laughs> Philly fans both famous and infamous at the same way. But, but has, I mean, honestly, like, has the team, is there this excess amount of pressure that are they, if they can, if the team can kind of take it for the game that it is and look, look forward when, when, as you say, play the man in front of them and not let the moment get too big, then I think that they actually have a shot at really, at really wrecking, um, wrecking the additional Super Bowl to the, to the title, but but I think when it comes down to it, um, the thing that they don't have is they don't have the history, they don't have the the halftime adjustments, they don't have um, all of the stuff that the Patriots are just known for. So they're gonna. I think I hope honestly that Peterson can really make the great adjustments to and and give them the best game plan to succeed. But I wonder and honestly, like if the moment is is something that will become too big for them or if they'll be able to overcome it. Yeah, well, that's the big question. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, to me, I, clearly the experience favors the Patriots. You know, been here, done mm-hmm. that. The fan the fan story I relayed about how they used to sing their chants and their fight songs, you know, early on before they uh, started really winning multiple Super Bowls. Uh, it's the same with the Patriots. You know, that, that uh, belief in what they do and, and, and the team that they've built – everything stems from Belichick and Brady uh, because, you know, let's face it, all those names have changed through the years and each team writes its own script. So, uh, but the constant's been Belichick and Brady. And really that's the huge advantage in my opinion, the Patriots have, but uh, over the Eagles with Doug Peterson, you know, second year head coach uh, and Nick Foles, a uh, backup quarterback. I mean, come on, you know, who wouldn't say that the Patriots are, you know, head and shoulders better at both those uh, spots, which are huge spots, but, uh, does that mean that the Eagles can't uh, find a way to devise a game plan uh, with the personnel that they have to stop Brady? Uh, no, it doesn't. And uh, the way Peterson has prepared this team all season, to me, has kind of been uh, sort of like the Midas touch. You know, everything he kind of does and implements, uh, it works, and the players believe in it. And when you talk to the players about Peterson, they just love playing for him because he treats them like, like grown men, which they are. You know, you have a lot of coaches that are very authoritarian, like I guess Belichick would be, uh, but the players like to play for him because he's had success. But, uh, you know, Peterson's trying to become that coach. Him and Carson Wentz, who has been uh, a little bit visible here this week, you know, Peterson talked about it as, hey, why can't we be the next Brady and Belichick? You know, we have our, uh, you know, we have our quarterback in the future. Why can't we be in the position that they are, uh, you know, for, for, you know, a nice long 15-year run? Um, but we'll see about that. This is the first step towards maybe achieving that goal. Um, but, uh, again, Peterson's going to have to have a game plan. He's going to have to match wits with, uh, 
with Belichick. Uh, you know, Belichick will do a terrific job of adjusting uh, at halftime. He'll do a terrific job adjusting in game if he has to. Uh, and Peterson and his staff are going to have to match that up too. I, you know, Peterson's staff might not be getting enough credit, but he's got a terrific staff and uh, he's put together some terrific assistant coaches who are great at teaching uh, the game to the players, you know, from Schwartz at the coordinator to Frank Reich is the offensive coordinator. John D. Filippo is the, is the quarterback's coach. And, you know, they have a great receivers coach, Mike Groh, who's done a great job. So you can just go down the line with their assistants and uh, they've all done a terrific job. Uh, so maybe that helps neutralize a little bit, I'm not saying the Patriots don't have good assistance, but the Eagles have a terrific staff that works well together and they have all year. So uh, I just think that in one game, all you have to be better is for 60 minutes. You don't have to worry about the mystique and the experience. Uh, if you can just put together a game plan that works, be able to adjust, and then you have to have the personnel. And the Eagles do have the personnel that matches up with New England for sure. Kyle, I know you have to jump off here, so appreciate you jump, uh, jumping on with us. Any uh, final thoughts or questions that you have uh, uh, for Ed, and you can certainly uh, hang up and listen to his answer or whatever. Um, I think I, I'm I'm really excited for the game. Honestly, like I, I think last year I was I was I was excited for the Super Bowl, but I think this is going to be a really 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 even matchup. So, I guess what are your predictions moving forward for tomorrow? Um, you know, I, I think the Eagles can win the game. I really do. I, I, I picked them to win the game 29 to 24. Um, I just think that, uh, the Eagles offense will find a way to move the ball against the Patriots defense. And, uh, but I think to beat them, you're going to have to make sure you have a lead big enough where Brady can't win it with a field goal that he's going to need a touchdown. Cause you know, I just feel when he gets that ball, if he gets it in the final two minutes and they're within striking distance, the Eagles are going to lose. So, I think the Eagles are going to have to build up a lead uh, and then unleash their line against Brady, uh, which, you know, kind of has been the formula for success for them all year. And like you said earlier, Kyle, teams that have beaten the Patriots in the Super Bowl have done that. Rush four, drop seven, confuse with a little, some coverages, try to confuse as much as you can confuse an 18-year veteran who's 40 years old who's playing in his you know, eighth Super Bowl, <laughs> uh, which is just crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I just think I, I just think the Eagles, to me, is, you know, they've been kind of loose all week. I don't think they've let this moment kind of overwhelm them. I've liked the way Foles has handled himself uh, in front of the uh, national or, you know, international and national media. I like the way the players individually have kind of made jokes and had fun and they seem loose. And I like some of the players on this team, Alshon Jeffrey, LeGarrette Blunt, Chris Long, some really good leaders that don't care at all about the Patriots mystique pretty much have said that. So I think they have some good leadership uh, that will show the way and the Eagles will find a way to somehow win this game and get their first Super Bowl title. We appreciate uh, Kyle jumping on with us. Uh, you know, uh, Ed, I want to talk with you just, you know, it seems like a cliche statement. And, you know, the, 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 they always say, well, it's just another game. We're just going to prepare like it's, uh, like it's any other game. And it's just another game. But it's not just another game. And, and the, uh, the fortunate or unfortunate part, depending on what side of the coin you're on, uh, the Patriots have been there, done that. And, you know, like they say, act like you've been here before. Well, they have been here before, and they know what to do. So what is the Eagles coaching staff, and what are they doing? Certainly they want them to enjoy the moment. But as we joked about earlier, this is a business trip. They are here to play a game and win a championship. There's plenty of time for celebrations after the game. How 
does the coaching staff and veteran team members and I, I you know just people all around as far as leadership on the team go to make sure that the Eagles stay focused and most importantly how does the the team help Nick Foles be the best quarterback that he can be because he hasn't been here and he hasn't done this before. Right. And, and many of the players haven't, and they do have seven players that have won rings on this team. And, and that's kind of a vital experience. They have some assistants who won national titles with Alabama uh, on their staff, their offensive line coach, the receivers coach were, were with Nick Saban uh, for a couple of his national titles. So, you know, they, they are familiar with, uh, you know, all the trappings that go with a big game and all the publicity. And, um, you know, they kind of rely on that. And they, I think they just kind of tell them, look, you know what's at stake. This is just a game. It's the last game we're going to play this year. So there's no reason not to play and do your job for 60 minutes and worry about vacation later, uh, you know, right after the game. Really, vacation starts for the next several months. So uh, let's leave it all on the line out there. And and just go out and have fun. Let's enjoy this last moment together as a team because next year this team's not going to be the same. Every year the teams in the NFL change. So let's go out and play for each other, knowing that this could be the last time we're all together in this room. Um, so that, I think that's part of it. And I, I, one thing I like what the Eagles did, and this is something that uh, I'm sure Bill Belichick has learned through the years, is, is they have to uh, get all their work done before they come to the Super Bowl site which the Eagles did that, you know, it's the two weeks between games, the NFC AFC title games to the Super Bowl. that week following the, the, the championship game, you have to get all your uh, game planning in. You have to begin to really hammer down the details of it and begin working on that then, because once you get into the Super Bowl site, there's a lot of different distractions, a lot of media requests, a lot of interviews uh, the, the, you know, the players do want to get out with their families and enjoy their time in a Super Bowl city. So, you, you know, you want to get a lot of the work done the week before, and that way that's the, coming into the week you have your practices and your walkthroughs and your meetings, but everything has kind of been done the week before. So uh, the Eagles have had a curfew this week of about 1 in the morning. Uh, again, Peterson believes that, you know, his players should be treated like men. He's not going to keep them pinned down in their rooms, uh, you know, from 10 p.m. on. So he's given them kind of a free reign, but uh, there hasn't been any issues. There hasn't been any trouble. The players have comported themselves well on both sides there haven't been any issues there haven't been really any controversies uh and so i think the players both on both sides are going to be ready to play this game rick uh what do you got for ed i know ed i don't know if you've got a hard stop at 10 o'clock but but certainly uh you you can stay on with us as long as you want but i know you wanted to call in a little bit earlier because you've got obligations to go and stuff so uh, rick go go right ahead sir all right, so uh, not to step on your toes, Ed, and whatsoever at all, but uh, I believe that the, the two most important things for the Eagles uh, tomorrow is going to be their offensive line and then uh, LeGarrette Blunt and Jay Ajayi because if, if the line can block up the, the Patriots and not let them get too much pressure on Foles, that's a good thing. But most importantly, it's going to open up the running game for uh, Blunt and Ajayi and that's going to take the biggest amount of pressure off Foles' shoulders that they can chew up some yards and chew up some clock. And not only that, for chewing up yards and clock, they're keeping Brady off the field at the same time. So those two guys might actually be the most, the, the two most important players on the field for Philly tomorrow. Yeah, and that whole offensive line, like you mentioned, I mean, this offensive line, I think, has proven itself to be the best in football this year. Um, you know, there are a lot of lines that get a lot of acclaim. The Dallas Cowboys, everybody says they have the best line, but, you know, really they haven't proven it over a 16-game season. Here are the Eagles that uh, came in with expectations of being the best line, and 
uh, you know, 18 games later, they're in the Super Bowl, and uh, they've overcome some bumps, bumps along the way. They lost Jason Peters, and Vitae stepped in there, and they had to solidify that left guard spot, and Penn State, Stefan Wisniewski has done that. Um, but th- th- it's all on the offensive line. You know, that offensive line has dominated a lot of games this year. Uh, and, and then on the flip side of the, the Eagles defensive line has done that. And really that has always been the Eagles philosophy when Andy Reid was in Philadelphia uh, going to multiple NFC championship games, could never win the big one. But his philosophy was let's build from the inside out on both of those lines from the offensive and the defensive lines. And, you know, the Eagles have kind of gotten back to that philosophy, depth on that offensive line that's helped them. Uh, they've brought in some guys on the defensive line that have really helped. And uh, those both sides of those lines are, are just gonna what is what's going to have to win the game. And, yeah, Blunt and Ajayi are part of that, but they, they're going to need holes to run through. So it's going to be up to the Eagles' offensive line to open those holes. Uh, but, uh, Ed, I want to talk with you a little. You know, every year at the Super Bowl, there's these other stories, these, these other storylines. And so, first of all, have you watched uh, the uh, Brady uh, Tom, Tom Against Time uh, little mini reality uh, Facebook series? Have you seen that at all? I, I have no idea what you're talking about, Tom. <laughs> Sorry, I have not seen it. <laughs> all right, well, for, for whatever reason, throughout the season, uh, Tom Brady and his people decided to put together a little uh, mini three-week, uh, three-episode um 15-minute, no commercial, uh, little Facebook-only reality series, if you will. And it's, it's kind of his life behind the scenes. Uh, Tom Brady, his life, uh, what it's like to be married to a supermodel and live in a castle. And, you know, the life that Tom Brady leads. Uh, to, to fly in his private helicopter and all this other stuff. So one of the scenes, uh, that I'm, I'm, where I'm going with this is, you may have seen me uh, text you that, you guys, that this ant is now uh, trending on Twitter. Uh, and, and this comes from a uh, radio host in Boston. Uh, they were talking about this. Well, what do you think about it? He goes, ah, no, really, what do you think about it? Well, here's the thing. It was clearly staged, and his daughter looks like a disparaging little piss ant, because she does sort of. Uh, and uh, you know the thing about this? She's a five-year-old girl, and she's running around all over the place, much like what we saw with uh, Drew Brees' kids uh, uh, during the Pro Bowl on the sidelines. Uh, but the thing about it is uh, Tom Brady, who has a, an exclusive uh, arrangement with this radio station, every, I'm sorry, every Monday morning, um, to come on this radio show and kind of just give an exclusive, you know, quarterback look or what have you. And he basically came on and said, you know, I am not going to do this anymore. I'm going to reevaluate if I'm even going to come back on your radio station because of what your people said about my daughter. Maybe he overreacted, maybe he didn't, but later the the guy that said it was suspended indefinitely and was suspended from all Super Bowl activities regarding uh, the radio station and the Patriots. Uh, and, but Tom Brady did say, I hope he doesn't get fired. Have you heard that you didn't hear anything about that story, huh? I have, I have not. Uh, that really hasn't uh, been, you know, uh, I don't think Tom really has even addressed it in any of the podium sessions that he's done. I, I you know, I have to say I've only gone to one of his podiums this week, um, and th- there was nothing that came up about that. So I, I don't know. If it was clearly staged, I mean, I don't know why the guy would lose his job uh, or be suspended over it if it was a staged uh, situation. But, uh, yeah, there, I, I, I don't know much about it. I don't think that's really kind of been a storyline here in, in Minnesota. Um 
for whatever reason. I, I don't know. Hi, uh, this is the balance. Who's this? Yeah, my name's Steve, and I just wanted to call in and say I think that Kyle guy is a disparaging little piss ant. If he thinks that <laughs> the Eagles have, if he thinks that the Eagles have any chance to win, I know who this is I know who this is now. Okay, uh, I was not expecting uh, Kevin Long to uh, make a surprise visit uh, to, uh, to the balance this morning. And you guys might uh, remember. Uh, uh, Kevin joined us uh, when we talked about uh, Wabash and the Monon Bell a little while back. And so, uh, Kevin, uh, I told you I stacked the deck, but I didn't know he was he was going to call. So he caught me by surprise on this uh, one. But uh, <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, uh, Kevin, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What questions do you have for Ed Pratt up in Minneapolis uh, covering the Philadelphia and the and New England Patriots? He is on a business trip. What do you have for him? <laughs> yeah, my uh, my biggest question really is, you know, it's just year after year, the Patriots are so good, and you always hear about the Patriot way. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how uh, you think that over time that Coach Belichick has just had great control over everything in his program? I mean, a lot of coaches try but rarely succeed to the level that he's been able to just – He's got absolute, complete buy-in from his entire team. Um, have you been able to interact with anybody or get any insight a little bit more into that this year? Uh, well, I, you really have to marvel at what Brady and the Patriots have done, or uh, Belichick has done with the Patriots. I mean, to me, it's just – I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, uh, to have this run, this sustained run of success over a 15- to 18-year period – uh, it's just remarkable to me, you know, eighth, eighth Super Bowl, and, um, you know, in, in what, 18 years. I mean, that's almost half the time they've been there. They've, they've been in the Super Bowl. I, yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to admire that no matter how they do it and, and respect it. And, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to watching, uh, the Patriots on Sunday and that, and, you know, I, I know the Eagles and the Patriots had a joint practice and training camp a couple of years ago. And I love watching Tom Brady practice and, you know, I'm going to really look forward to watching him play on the biggest stage um, because we're not going to – I don't think we're ever going to see this run of success again. And I don't know how they've done it or how, uh, you know, they've been able to buy in to what Belichick has sold them. But uh, all you can do is sit back and, to me, you just have to respect it. You have to marvel at it. And you just have to know that we're just not going to see this ever again, I don't think, in the NFL once yeah. it's over. So with that being said, I don't want you to, you know, make any of your fan base, your home fan base, any, you know, mad or anything. But does it just go without saying these guys are the best of all time? Is are the Patriots the best of all time, or Brady? I didn't hear the end of that. Brady, Brady and Belichick. Brady, Brady and Belichick. I, I think with you know what they've carved out here uh, over this this you know decade and a half, I. I don't see how you can argue otherwise. I mean, I, you know, it, it's hard to really kind of differentiate between, you know, the great quarterbacks that have played this game. Um, they've all done something that have made them great, and they've all done it extremely well. And, yeah, I think Brady certainly deserves to be in that conversation as the best ever. Belichick perhaps is the best ever coach. You know, you could say, well, look, you know, they've, they've done some illegal things along the way, you know, the, taking the air out of the football with Brady and, 
uh, you know, Belichick, you know, using uh, videotape to spy on opponents. But, um, you know, the other side of that is if you're not cheating, you're not trying. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you, you can say all that and you know, maybe there's some merit to it, maybe not. But uh, to me, it, what they've done is just, you know, the, the, the more I'm around it and the more I see it, the more respect I have for it. Uh, you know, I, I think you, you have to put them in the conversation as the greatest, uh, certainly the greatest coach quarterback duo in history. Yeah, I mean, Rick, uh, Rick Riggin. Uh, go, go ahead. I apologize, uh, Kevin. Go, go right ahead, buddy. Oh, yeah. One last thing I just said. I agree, but that, that's tough to say as a Colts fan, but I don't think there's any way you can uh, keep them out of that conversation, and especially. I mean, they have nothing left to prove, but if they win it, that that conversation is over. And I stand by what I said about Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Julie noted. Say, thanks for calling in, Kevin. You have yourself a good Super Bowl weekend, buddy. <laughs> hey, see you guys. Thanks. Bye. Oh, that was classic. He got me on that one, uh, guys. Uh, that was Kevin Long. He, uh, uh, th- We all worked together, and uh, I said, you guys need to come on. You're always talking sports. You're always talking smack at the office. Come on and, and bring it on the air with us. And I had no idea Kevin was going to call, and when he said that, I knew exactly who it was. Rick, go, go right ahead, buddy. I, I don't want to keep you out of the conversation. Go ahead, buddy. Hey, that's been a boring episode for me so far, just sitting here, minding my own business, Listening to everybody else have fun. Hey, it's all right. It's okay. Uh, the only thing I was going to add, uh, yeah. the only thing I was going to add earlier about the, the the whole pissant controversy that's going on is, uh, you know, Brady and Belichick and and what Kevin was saying. I, I do believe that is the best now quarterback coach combo. But over the course of their success, they've also been like the most guarded. You have no idea what goes on in their personal lives. And it's really surprising to me that Brady would allow, you know, something like this Facebook thing now to follow him around his personal life and air a 15-minute episode on Facebook every week. Because when you open it up to the public and what you're doing behind the scenes, that's where all this, uh, you're going to get this piss ant type stuff. So you're going to get all the negativity and it's real surprising me right from the Super Bowl he would do something like this after you have no idea the kind of lifestyle he lives because you never really seen behind the scenes with him or Belichick. So it's surprising to me that they would allow that to happen. But in, 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 all, in, all, fair, in, all, in all fairness, guys, here's the thing. This was filmed uh, throughout the season. I mean, you, there's, there's scenes where he's really upset in the car in a vehicle with his wife after a loss to the Chiefs. This goes throughout the, the entire season, and these are edited uh, uh, bites together. The, the whole plan was for it to be released over this weekend. I think it was, it was part, push on his, uh, his uh, 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 product that he pushes as, as well. So anyway, that's kind of how it all came together. But, you know, I, I – Ed, I know we've got you for just a, a few more minutes here, so I wanted to make sure that you are still available for my next guest. My next guest, I would like to say, he probably wants to say he's calling from Boston, but uh, he works with me as well, but he uh, transferred with our company uh, to Indianapolis uh, from Boston. So he is very much a Bostonian, and unbeknownst to us, now we're going to have to go on a search-and-destroy mission. He told us that there is an exclusive uh, New England Patriot Boston bar here in town, so we are going to find out about that. Eric, welcome to The Balance. How are you doing, sir? Hey, how are you, Tom? 
Doing good this morning. Are you parking? Are you parking your car up a Hobbit Yard? Are you? <laughs> well, I'm I'm parking hey, my car. So, so wait a minute. There, there's a Patriots bar in Indy. Yes, sir. There is a Patriots bar out of here. in Indy. You know, pay. <laughs> Wow, I'm not sure for the face. <laughs> even even Cole's fans aren't convinced the culture all that great. They're gonna put a Patriots bar in in Indy. That's great. That's nuts. <laughs> apparently, yeah. apparently, it's a secret location. Nobody knows where it's at. <laughs> so we were just talking a little bit about this, and I know you're very familiar with the radio station that uh, talked about this piss ant thing. Uh, but uh, you know, yep. it kind of became a story and magnified itself. But. Uh, Joining us also, Ed Kratz. He's up in Minneapolis. He's a beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. He might be uh, an, an enemy to you right now. But uh, we're going to let you have an opportunity to pick his brain about the game tomorrow between the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles. Go ahead, Eric. Well, sure. So, look, as a Boston fan, it's – it's and now, look, i got to say that I've been a Boston fan for a long time through – the Sullivan ownership years through the Kayyem ownership years, and I've seen some pretty darn bad ball played in Foxborough. So I'm one of the people here that's kind of looking at this and saying, I love what's going on here. I know that one day it's going to end, but, boy, what a run it's been. I'm so glad to have been able to be a Pats fan during this time and to see this with Belichick and Brady and with Kraft owning the team and so on. So, but then, you know, something like this comes up, you know, a lot of talk in Boston right now about not just this kind of pissant comment and how Brady responded, but more just, hey, what's going on between Kraft and Brady and Belichick and why did Garoppolo get traded and so on. And honestly, as a Boston fan, as a New England fan, I'm kind of looking at this and I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed that they let Jimmy Garoppolo go because I thought we were going to have this dynasty going a little bit longer and my word, if now Brady has forced the trade of Jimmy Garoppolo only for a second-round pick, not much of an insurance policy going into the playoffs here, I suppose we'll pull it out. But, Tom Brady, you're not going anywhere for the next two to three years. Bill Belichick, you better not go anywhere for the next two or three years because if they're going to pull that kind of stuff, they got to stick along. So, with that being said, what is your analysis, guy from Minnesota, what is your analysis of this game? Um, my analysis, well, I, you know, I think, you know, I think the run's just about over there, dude. Uh, I think that, uh, I think I wouldn't surprise me if Bill Belichick announces his, uh, retirement or his resignation if they win this Super Bowl. Um, you know, he's, he's getting up there, that rift, there is something to that rift with the three Kraft, Brady and him. Uh, he would go out on top. Uh, because to me, is he going to be committed to rebuilding his staff? He's going to lose his coordinators again. Patricia and McDaniels yep. are on their way out. He may lose his third coordinator, Joe Judge, the special teams coordinator, who I know very well and is a, is a friend of mine. He may be on his way out. Does Bill Belichick have the patience to replace three quarterbacks and to rebuild that staff and keep this team at the top? I don't think he does. So I, I think this uh, this dynasty, which has been just terrific to uh, watch and uh, you know, and you can say, like I said earlier, you can say what you want, how it happened, you know, the cheating with the spy gate or the deflating of the balls with uh, Tom Brady. Uh, it's been something that you can just uh, admire because we've never seen it before. We'll never see it again. But I think this is it. I think this is the end of the line uh, for the Patriots. I really do. And I just say that because I think Belichick's going to – he's going to be out, uh, if not after this game, um, shortly after this game. Um, and, and then the Patriots are going to have to rebuild. They're going to have a 40-year-old quarterback with really no quarterback behind him in Garoppolo. So 
you know, this has the feel to me uh, sort of like the last gasp for the Patriots. But what a great run it's been. Can't take anything away from that. We've been, we've been talking to – no, I was just, I was just say, we're talking with Ed Kratz, beat writer uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he is up in Minneapolis covering the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, it's kind of a work trip for him. Uh, Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor and all-around great guy calling from Evansville, Indiana, and our uh, Bostonian transplant guy uh, that has joined us as well, Eric Phillips. Uh, Philipson, uh, I'm sorry, to uh, talk about the New England Patriots and the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Rick, what questions do you have for uh, Eric and or uh, Ed regarding tomorrow's Super Bowl? Uh, it's not really any questions. It's just uh, as to all my answers here, and the, and the uh, question for the caller, you know, as to all my answers of how uh, they're losing both the coordinators and everything, you know, training away Jimmy Grapes and now uh, – Belichick's losing both of his pimps, and then Brady is also uh, Brady is also he's out he's he's outlived the, the lifespan of his, of what they thought his success would be. So I'm with that. If he does win this year, I think he's going to retire. If not, I think he'll give it a go for about two more years. But this this is the end of the line. Like I said, he's losing both the coordinators. Uh, there's the whole thing with the uh, Kraft and Belichick and Brady. Maybe it's something. Maybe it isn't. But the other. Brady's getting old. I, this is it. Well, I'll tell you Eric, what. Eric, uh, go, right, go, right, go right ahead, buddy. Well, say thank you, Tom. And, you know, it is tough thinking about going into the season without the offensive coordinators and some of the other coaching staff and without having the next quarterback on the, uh, on the roster for the future. So while it does look like it's a bad situation, to, and even think about if they lose what happens here. So that could be even worse. But I've got to believe that as a Boston fan, as, as a Patriots fan, I have a tough time thinking that Belichick leaves at this point because he's put together such a legacy. For him to just let it go like this without just leaving the team in shambles like that, without the right coordinators, without the right weapons on the field, that kind of thing, without bringing that defense back together again, which has really been just kind of lackluster this whole season, thank God it got him through. That doesn't seem like Belichick to me. I could be wrong, but he switched he switched coaching staff so many times in New England. Every one of those positions, those coordinator positions, have flipped several times. He's got a great coaching team behind him. I mean, just look at look at the Houston uh, look at the Houston Texans. That's practically the Patriots' mini staff. So he really does have all I would say a history of doing these types of rebuilds. But in his 60s right now. That's a big gig to ask somebody like him to do. So I would say it's about 50-50. I would be very disappointed to see him go, but in a way, couldn't blame him. So it's an uh, interesting time guys, we're to be gonna, a Patriots fan these days. Guys, we're going we're gonna to put a pause on it just for just a moment here. I know, Ed, you had a, a stop because you're up there in Minneapolis. I'm going to give a, a final word and a final thought to you, and then we'll go back to uh, Rick and, and Eric, and Mo's going to be joining us in a minute as well. But go ahead, give us your final thoughts uh, from Minneapolis, the Super Bowl tomorrow, New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, yeah, uh, well, it's still snowing. Uh, that's my uh, up-to-the-minute report uh, from the scene here. <laughs> um, and it's still very, very cold. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited for the game. I'm looking forward, like I said, to watching Brady play on the biggest stage uh, in person. I've seen him play uh, live uh, several times. Like I said, I watched him practice when – uh, the Eagles uh, and Patriots had a joint practice when Chip Kelly was the coach back in training camp uh, a few years ago. He's just a, you know, he's an interesting guy to watch, a fun guy to watch work. And 
you know, you, you wonder how much time he has left. I mean, you know, you have to appreciate these final moments uh, that he has. He could play another two or three years. I know he, he wants to, um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, and this could be the end of Belichick. And, you know, like your, uh, your friend there said, I mean, I, I don't think his legacy would be damaged at all should he just up and leave and not even care about what kind of cupboard he leaves uh, for the next coach coming in. I, I, think, I don't think that would dent his legacy at all. Um, you know, he's got his legacy no matter what he does. And, uh, again, you have to watch, you have to appreciate greatness and you watch it and kind of enjoy it because I think it's coming to an end. But I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, and like I said earlier, I think the Eagles find a way to win. Uh, I think it's kind of a passing of the torch type of game. Uh, the Eagles are kind of built now, set up for, you know, a sustained run of success. There's no guarantee of getting back to the Super Bowl. Again, you say that, and then you look what the Patriots have done, three of the last four Super Bowls they've played in. So there are no guarantees for any team. Uh, but I just think the Eagles have, uh, you know, they've 20 of their 22 starters are signed for next year. Uh, they have their quarterback, Carson Wentz, who's kind of up and coming. And Peterson has proven to be, you know, a pretty good play caller. So, well, you know, we'll see. I'm looking forward to the game. That's all I'll say. And, uh, you know, I'm going to enjoy the game. So, and that said, I got to roll. Well, I got to, you know, I got some things I got to do. So, all right. Sounds good. We appreciate it. Hopefully you join us tomorrow. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, Ed Kratz, uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and, uh, and our official NFL contributor, obviously very, very busy up there in Minneapolis, but still on board with us, Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor from Evansville, Indiana, an all around great guy and star Wars contributor as well. And, uh, Eric, Philipson, uh, who is a transplant from Boston, New England fan as well. And uh, Mope and the BS Sports Show will be joining us uh, here directly and uh, kind of talk with us a little bit about the Vegas spread and look at um, what's going on with Vegas and, wh- and how they're looking at this game between the Eagles and the Patriots. Certainly there's been some very big bets, mil- over a million-dollar bets. Uh, I know that we heard that there was a $10 million bet placed on the Eagles last week, so we'll see how that pans out. So, Rick, you are up. What do you have to say, sir. You could even talk uh, about Star Wars if you want to. <laughs> I, I was going to agree with Eric that I don't think Belichick just leaves the, uh, leaves the organization in shambles after everything he's built. Uh, the difference is this year, though, is, you know, in the past when he's lost coordinators, had to replace guys. We still have Brady in this, but now we got Brady in his last couple of years. And I think you see the writings on the wall. Uh, I don't think he leaves. I don't think he retires just yet until the organization is set up again. But definitely not leaving for another team because the big rumor was if he was to leave, it would be to the Giants. But now they just hired a new head coach a week or two ago. So that's not the case now. Uh, so if Belichick does anything next couple of years, it's going to be a retire. But he, he will have the organization built up again with coaches. But this is the end of the uh, dynasty for uh, Belichick and Brady. So I want to – I think I've asked you this before, Eric, uh, off mic before, but if not, I'm going to ask you now. Uh, here's, here's the thing. I think what we're seeing here is uh, who is the controller of the dynasty? Is it Tom Brady or is it Bill Belichick? Who owns the dynasty? Is it Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? And, and I think depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different answer. Uh, but, you know, again, going back to the Garoppolo trade, uh, we heard that Tom Brady went to Kraft and said, hey, uh, you got to get rid of this guy. And, and why? Because he felt threatened threatened by this guy because Bill Belichick loyalty lies only to the next win. If he if he sees something in Tom Brady that we're not seeing and we know that that Bill Belichick has a very very good eye and certainly understands every position in the game if there's if there's anybody that's a a uh 
expert of the game. It is Bill Belichick, and maybe he sees something in the future because he's always three or four steps ahead of everyone else. Maybe he sees something coming down that he felt like Garoppolo was more suited for and began to, to cause that risk. Mm. And we heard about a lot of other things about him not allowing his personal trainer there, just a lot of different things that yeah. Bill Belichick is kind of uh, bump, bump, bumping up against with Tom Brady. So who owns that dynasty? Is it Bill Belichick? Is it Bob Kraft? Is it Tom Brady? Who owns that dynasty? Well, you know, that's a really good question, Tom, because it, it really is tough in, in such a gray type of situation, such a melodramatic situation. You know, at the end of the day, Kraft really owns the dynasty. And it's ultimately Kraft who's the one that kind of gave in here. So part, I partly don't blame Brady for his wanting to show Bill Belichick that, no, it's not time for Tom Brady to retire. If I was an athlete that was driven like Tom Brady was, I'd probably be, I'd probably be behaving the same way. What I don't like is how Kraft lets Bill Belichick, and who has an uncanny ability to know when to bring in the right players and when to let go of players, and just, you know, you think about the Richard Seymours, the Wes Welkers, the Laura Malloys, all the guys that they got rid of one or two years before they started their decline – Belichick had his next quarterback on the roster this year, and he looked good, and he's 7-0 and right now. So as a Patriots fan, you're looking at that and saying, oh, my God, if the Patriots' way is to let the guy go a year or two ahead of time and we have the guy on the roster, nobody is above team. And I think that's where Tom Brady has probably lost a little bit of respect with some of the fans in Boston. Look, you can't take away everything that he's done. You can't take away anything that they've done. But at the same time, for them to, to see a situation like this come down and to see a player put himself above team, a little bit tough to swallow. And on top of that, I'm a fan of the Patriots. I'm not more, much more a fan of the team as opposed to one individual player. And I've, like I say, I've been a fan through the, through the very dry years of the Patriots and you know, have seen some pretty awful games in Foxborough. And now to have had the opportunity for this dynasty to, to get extended, hey, maybe even another two, three years, but just to see good football maybe for the next five or six. And now this situation is really tough to watch. So as a Boston fan, tough to say who owns the dynasty. I would say Belichick is largely responsible for, for it. But if there is no Brady, there really is no Belichick in that sense. So it's really tough to say who's ultimately the, the primary on the dynasty. But I got to put this all on craft, this whole situation. And I've got to believe that in the future, when we look back on this year, and if this is the final year of the dynasty and it gets picked apart the way it's going to get picked apart, I think in the end, people are going to look at craft and say, how could you have usurped on a, the most important player personnel decision, perhaps in the team's history? How could you have usurped the best player personnel coach ever in the history of the game or one of the best? So I think that's what we're, we're going to look back on as the decline of this dynasty was. We're talking. We're talking with Eric Phillipson, uh, obviously uh, from Boston, uh, Washington, and uh, he uh, he uh, now lives here in Indianapolis, and he, he has told us about a, uh, a secret uh, Patriot bar here in town that we are going to have to seek and destroy. Rick Riggin joins us as well, and uh, and. Uh, uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show just joins us. Mo, how are you doing, sir? Are, are you ready for the game? Is Vegas ready for the game? Mo is our resident uh, betting expert from week to week, tells us uh, who to bet, not to bet. And uh, let's find out who this is. I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> Hi, who's this? Uh, yeah, this is uh, Barry. 
Barry Leach, maybe? <laughs> Daniel, uh, I appreciate well, you joining. Uh, uh, Tim, I have a question. <laughs> um, yes, I hear uh, about this Tom versus uh, Ty. And quite frankly, I'm curious, does Tom stand a chance? Or uh, do you imagine that time will, in fact, win this one? Can I comment just on real that, quick, please, uh, uh, as a Boston fan? Yeah, no, just you can't. You know what? Just one, one second. I, I, just one second here, guys. I want to make sure that everybody's in the loop here because Mo did just join us. I stacked the deck a little bit, I have to admit, because of Super Bowl talk. And these are all colleagues of mine that I didn't know were calling in, and Kevin Long called in. And so they're just calling in to be a part of the show, so we're having fun with it. And then Eric works with me as well. I do want to get your comment, uh, Eric. I do, so put a pause on that. But I want to get to Mo because, Mo, uh, welcome to the madness. It's Super Bowl weekend. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I, I think okay. Did I call the right place? <laughs> it's total mayhem, buddy. Total mayhem. I want to ask you about some of the big bets that we're hearing. Uh, by, uh, we, we, we've lost. Uh, we've lost the other caller. But uh, I wanted. Uh, I wanted to ask you about these big bets that we're seeing in Vegas. Uh, you know, we saw a ten million dollar bet. Now I've heard a million dollar bet. All for the Eagles. What is Vegas? Uh, what's the reaction to this year's Super Bowl? Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 done bad if you're looking to bet the underdog of the Eagles because it's driven the point spread down from the initial seven to the four and a half at that now. So uh, if you were looking to bet the underdog and you waited, that was a huge mistake for you. Uh, and if the, if, the, uh, if the Eagles do win or cover, it's going to be a big loss uh, for Vegas, which will be the first time, uh, you know, in, in a bunch of years. Um. Eric, what what questions do you have maybe for Mo? Uh, Rick, what do you have for Mo? Um, and I'll, go ahead, uh, Eric, and, and comment on the, the caller's comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got to go back on the Tom versus Time thing. And like I say, I'm a New England fan, team, team, team. But certainly, when I look at what Tom Brady has done over the last couple of years promoting the TB12 brand, and even having 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 the nuts to, sh- to air those commercials for Tom versus time during the AFC championship game. Oh my God, if he had lost, what the hell would that have done for his brand? But I guess my final comment on Tom versus time is this. You can only whack time so many times in the face before it comes back and totally consumes you. So he has defied time time and time again. One day those cows are going to come home. Back to you, Tom. <laughs> Rick, uh, what, what questions, uh, what questions, uh, Rick, do you have for Eric and, and Mo? Go ahead, sir. It's <laughs> no uh, questions. I'm just going to add on to Eric, you know, uh, that I do believe it is uh, like 95% responsible for the dynasty's Bill Belichick. And I say that because look at what Nick Saban has done in Alabama. Saban always brings in the next guy, always has the right guy uh, come in. You know, when Smite goes out, gets hurt, the next guy to step right up with the Patriots have kind of been built that way, you know, because – Nick just uh, Nick Saban just won the national title with the back of a quarterback named Tua Tonga Vailoa, and the whole reason for the, this me even talking is just so I can make a Tua Tonga Vailoa reference because it's really fun but hard name to say. So that is pretty much essentially the exact same system, Belichick and Saban run, and I and I do think it's ninety five percent more Bill Be, uh, Belichick. You know that's that's a good go right point ahead, sir. because because you think uh, about this. Or, so this is Eric again. <laughs> 
Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. I'm sorry to interrupt. But you know, you raise a good no, point because if you put Brady, you put Brady on any one of these other teams, like what would Brady be like under Doug Peterson? What would Brady be like under Doug Marone? What would Brady be like under some of these coaches? And I think we'd all agree that the level of coaching has declined substantially over the last few years, and the quality of the play in the league has reflected it. So I, I actually have to agree with you that while it's tough for me to put a percentage on it probably greater percentage Belichick than it is Brady because the system that he puts together has made so many players look great that otherwise would have been average players on other teams. So I guess, guess I got to change my tune on that one. Go ahead. I'm here. Well, I mean, you know, Bill, Bill, Belichick, did make, uh, Bill Belichick didn't make Jacoby Brissett look like a quarterback that people wanted and he got to the Colts and, you know, you saw how, you know, just normal and regular he looked. Uh, you know, we saw the success of Jimmy Garoppolo, but I, I think at the end of the day, you take Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and, and they share that. They're going to always be linked, and I think that you, you don't put the percentage one over another. I think uh, between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, they share uh, in the success. I wouldn't put a percentage uh, over one more than the other at this point. Well, that's a good point Mull just made, though, because when Brady was suspended those four games, the Patriots still went 3-1 and one with backup quarterbacks. Jacoby was a third string. So that's a, that's a really good point. Would we have done that with Brian uh, Hoyer? Who knows? <laughs> so, Mo, I want to get your thoughts on tomorrow's game. You've got the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots. Uh, Ed was on with us until about 10:15 or so. Obviously, he's up in Minneapolis uh, doing his thing up there. Uh, this has got to be—you got to beat the Patriots. You got to come. You got to play 60 minutes. But I tell you what, and I, I think everybody knows that I'm not going to pick the Patriots. But nonetheless, I do honestly think that. That said, I do think the Eagles have a very good shot at beating the Patriots. What are your thoughts on the on the game tomorrow, the X's and the O's? Well, I mean, in order for the Eagles to win, obviously we've heard everybody say, well, they've got to get pressure to Tom Brady. Well, I mean, that's an obvious in every football game. But I think uh, for the Eagles to win, Nick Foles doesn't necessarily have to play like he played in the uh, NFC Championship, but I think he has to play at least as well as he played against Atlanta where, you know, he continued to move the ball, the Eagles moving the ball on third down and extending drives I think was big for them. Uh, and to me, the, the, the focus, uh, I think, of the Eagles offense is going to be uh, Zach Ertz, you know, the guy is always seems to get open at the time that Nick Foles needs him. And if you looked at the uh, game against the Falcons and uh, and the NFC Championship, Nick uh, uh, Zach Ertz was a guy who was there to, to extend drives a lot of times on third down. Uh, will they be able to keep running the ball with all three of those running backs and, and getting those short passes out of the backfield? And then, you know, keeping their defense fresh. We saw Jacksonville completely run out of gas against New England at the end. Uh, that that uh, defensive line was gassed. Those guys uh, in the secondary were gassed and in I think Philadelphia keeping their defense fresh will be the, the key to the game because when Tom Brady has the ball in his hand in the second half and the fourth quarter, uh, bad things happen to other teams. So I think for the Eagles doing the football game, it's going to be extending uh, extending drives and making third downs, and I think Zach Ertz is going to be a, a huge key to that. Eric is a big uh, uh, Bostonian uh, guy, and he's a New England Patriot fan. He, he works with me, and he uh, uh, kindly uh, joined the show today to help us get a look and the perspective of the New England Patriots. Uh, Eric, what questions do you have for Mo from the BS Sports Show? Well, let me ask you something. So a lot of people talk about you've got to bring pressure up the middle to uh, to get Brady off his time and to get them off their timing routes and off those quick passes, but I kind of look at Philadelphia and I see a linebacker core that's a little bit soft. So I think it, while they do have the right game plan formula and 
everybody is starting to understand, you know, what it's going to take to beat the Patriots. We've seen some teams like Jacksonville and Miami, for that matter, this year take them, uh, you know, beat them or come awful close. But here's, I think, one of the defining differences. It's like, why do the Patriots come have these come-from-behind wins over and over and over again? And they built the dynasty on doing it. No blowout Super Bowls. No, it's none of that kind of stuff. And it comes down to really two things, player conditioning. And I question, have the Eagles gone through the same type of conditioning to be able to play the full 60 minutes of the game when, in fact, they're going to need to play their best minutes of the game in the last five to ten minutes? Can they hack it? So far, most teams have really not been able to. And then when you look at what happened with Jacksonville, how come they ran Leonard Fournette up the middle on the first down on their last four or five drives in that game? and just went to a completely conservative game plan. Coaches shut down in those situations. Um, you know, look what happened in Philadelphia this year. Um, Pittsburgh had the game in hand, and because of miscommunication with the sideline, all of a sudden there's an end zone, there's, there's a, a, an interception in the end zone, game over. So it really comes down to these really two things, and I agree on the X's and O's and the player matchups and all that kind of stuff. But, boy, when you look at those two things over time and you realize the Patriots are 15-0 against teams they've never played during the, main se- during the regular season in the playoffs, it's, look, this could be anybody's game. I'm not saying this is going to be a Patriots game. It's very tough to call who the winner is today. But when you look at history, which you really shouldn't because once the, once the game starts, history's bunk. But, boy, it's tough, to, tough not to look at something like that. And that's my perspective. Mo? Mo, go right ahead. Well, I mean, you know, so when you look at the linebacking core, I agree their linebackers are a little soft. And they don't, they're not great at bringing pressure, but one thing that the Eagles linebackers do uh, very well is they're great in coverage. And, and when you have good coverage linebackers, you're able to defend those, those short, quick passes. I mean, if you look yeah. at the most important position, Tom Brady is obviously a million times better than Nick Foles is. So Nick Foles has got to, and it's a word of tape, but he's got to be a game manager. He can't be turning the football over. He doesn't need to throw for three scores, but he can't be turning the right. football over. And I think that's going to be the important part is, you know, the Eagles can substitute guys out. They've got a bunch of guys they can sub in and out on the defensive line. So I think the key for the Patriots is going to be a lot of no huddle to where they can't sub in uh, those defensive ends. They can't bring in, uh, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Chris Law or guys like that. So I think a lot of no huddle will be a key for a New England victory. But, you know, at, at the end of the game, we'll – well, if they can extend drives, the Eagles, if they can extend drives, how will that uh, New England defense hold up? You know, we've seen them falter at times this year as well. So, uh, you're right, I think it does yeah. come down to conditioning. But uh, with the coverage that the linebackers filled out to can play, that, means, that makes a little bit of a scary matchup for those short, uh, quick passes, especially those passes to the, uh, to the running backs, if I'm a New England fan at this point. Yep, and I think we're talking you know, with like, able to cover <laughs> – Sorry, Tom. We're, ta- we're talking with Mo- – <laughs> no problem. We're talking with Mo from the BS Sports Show. Uh, Eric, do you just want to host the show? I'm just kidding with you, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, Rick, Rick, uh, Rick from uh, down in Evansville, our college football contributor. We do have our caller back. I, I understand that he has a very important question about the Super Bowl. Uh, go ahead, caller. What's, what's your question about the Super Bowl? Yeah, hi, my name's Joe. I'm calling from Plainfield, Indiana. Um I was wondering, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what the Super Bowl may be, what it, you know, what it may not be, what it could be, all these sorts of things about the Super Bowl, and I think that's great. I think it's important. Um, I did have one question. I've got this container. It's uh, large. It's orange, round. Um, it's got some bats on it, some skulls. Um, it's what we put the uh, the candy in for the kids on Halloween. 
it's about hold on now I've got my tape measure here. Yeah, it's about fifteen and a no fifteen and three quarter inches in diameter. I was wondering, Tom, now does this qualify as a Super Bowl or are there different definitions on what might qualify that? I think that qualifies as a super duper bowl. I think it does too. All right, thanks for your time, Tom. I do appreciate that. Y'all have a great blessed day now, okay? Goodness. I've lost total control, Mo. I have total control of my show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are, are, uh, are, are all your friends alcoholics or what? I think so. Most of us. I think so. Most I, of us are. You know, I... I I opened up the, the can of worms last night when we were having some beers, I have to admit, for an open invite for anybody to call that they wanted. Now, now we, we apparently have, uh, have exploded into uh, uh, demise, but uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad Eric is, is, is at least taking it seriously. It's a lot of fun, though. It's Super Bowl weekend, <laughs> and we're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and one great Super Bowl of candy. Oh, that, that was great. Uh, Rick... <laughs> What are you, what are your thoughts, buddy? <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. We've lost something along the way, that's for sure. Mo, as we as we look at the as we look at the Philadelphia Eagles, I tell you what, if uh Nick Bowles can pull off a win, don't you think that uh the NFL as a whole is gonna start rethinking QB juice? Well, I mean, you know, you look at the look at the the four quarterbacks that were left in the uh, in the playoffs. You had Blake Bortles. Yeah, Nick Foles and Case Keenum. Yeah, right? you know, so it, it it's Tom always going to. Well, yeah, but if you look at the other three, you know, that they're not guys who were or you know necessarily household names or guys that, that were thought of as elite type or even upper echelon quarterbacks. So. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Jacksonville, if you look at them, they've got a good nucleus going. Uh, Minnesota's done build around defense as well and added some offensive players. And you need a quarterback who's not going to make mistakes and give the football. So it, maybe it will, but, you know, there's guys are – teams are always going to want those uh, those elite quarterbacks. I mean, Kirk Cousins is going to get paid like there's no tomorrow. And then, oh, you know what, next year Aaron Rodgers is due for a contract, and he's really going to get paid. So teams will always fun over that uh, – that upper echelon quarterback, but teams have proven that you can do it with a guy uh, who maybe wasn't thought of as that type of guy. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially what happens with Nick Foles should he win, uh, where he winds up next year and, and what winds up happening with him. So it, it's, it's an intriguing point to see what happens after the Super Bowl, uh, I think, with, with these quarterbacks like Nick Foles and Case Keenum. Eric, let me ask you this. It seems to be a foregone conclusion of everybody out there that this is just going to be another Patriots Super Bowl win and that this may be an end to the dynasty. We've been talking about that. But at the end of the day, the New England Patriots do have to come out there and play. And they have a history of when they play in the Super Bowl of having to come from behind. I don't think that the Philadelphia Eagles is that kind of a team that you want to try to come from behind for. How does the New England Patriots prepare for the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, that's a really good question, Tom. I think part of it is they've really got to be able to get that short passing game going quickly. And the other caller oh, yeah. made a good point about running a no huddle offense and a hurry up offense like that to be able to guess that defense. And, you know, look, I heard, I was listening to another radio show uh, yesterday. Caller came in and said, you know, 
the Patriots have always won Super Bowls or lost Super Bowls by very short amounts, by very short points. So maybe they're due for a big blowout this year. I'm not sure I necessarily prescribe to that, but I do believe they've got to play from ahead if they're going to win tomorrow. And so that means they've really got to get early. They've got to break this thing about no scoring in the first quarter of the Super Bowl. Which, you know, history's bunk as soon as the ball gets kicked off, I know. But they have really got to get out and get ahead. Because it really is going to come down to conditioning. It's going to come down to game planning. And for them to play from ahead uh, against a team like Philadelphia, to me, is really going to be the way that they're going to win. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to do come from behind, particularly given the offensive line rotation um, that Philadelphia has and how that's going to disrupt the, uh, the passing game, short passing game over, you know, kind of between the numbers and between the hash marks, the way they're, they're so good uh, during those periods of time. So I think it's going to have to be one of those types of momentum games where they get it up front, and the team that gets the momentum up front is probably going to be the team that wins. I would say that probably a little more likely for the Patriots than the Eagles, but again, it's tough to call a winner in this game. I think, you know, you look at the player-coach, or I'm sorry, the coach-quarterback matchup, and that's one thing, but then when you consider both teams in their totality, very tough to call a winner. Guys, I want to kind of shift gears, and I'm going to start with, start with you, Rick, and then we'll kind of go around the horn and get your thoughts on this. You know, as we saw this week, uh, the Cleveland Indians decided that they were going to mo- remove their, their logo, their chief uh, wah-wah logo, whatever it is. Also, uh, Rick, we saw with your Notre Dame Fighting Irish, we also saw that there's a movement or a, 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 a group, if you will, that wants to see the leprechauns removed because it's offensive to Irish Americans. I'm starting to call BS. Go ahead, Rick. What are your thoughts? So I'm getting really sick and tired of people thinking uh, us Irish people are drinkers and fighters. I mean, I hate that stereotype. Uh, after I finish my pint of beer right here, we can go outside and discuss it further. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is so ridiculous. Uh, Max Kellerman from ESPN, he's a douchebag, and nobody likes him. He shouldn't even be on ESPN whatsoever. Nobody takes him seriously. His comment is retarded. And uh, there's not one Irish person in the world that's, that's offended by the fighting Irish. Uh, maybe he's an Alabama fan or something like that. He just has a like Notre Dame. Maybe that's where the comment came from. I have no idea what it is, but uh, it, it, it's a nothing story because he's a nobody. So there's not really much to say about that. Right. So no, what are they going to do now? Thing, though, Go- Sorry, Tom. <laughs> no, no, so, no problem. There's just a little bit of a delay between my mic and, and, and your guys' ears, and I apologize for that, and I understand that. Uh, but, uh, no, the only thing that I'm saying to you, Mo, and then we'll get back to you, uh, Eric, the thing about it is it just seems to be that sports has gotten alter PC sensitive. And, I, it, you know, we're talking about the Redskins. We're talking about – but nobody's saying anything about the Braves or nobody's saying anything about the Seminoles. It, it's just – it's like they're picking and choosing, and then this PC bullcrap is getting to be ridiculous. Mo, what are your thoughts about this? Is it is it just me? And, you know, here's another thing. As we're talking about PC and we're talking about the uh, Not Me uh, campaign and the Me Too campaign and all this, you know, Justin Timberlake, if, if, as we know, is going to be doing the halftime show uh, tomorrow. Okay, now we remember, what was it, uh, several years ago. I don't He was young, but he was on the stage with Janet Jackson. He popped open that uh, wardrobe malfunction, as they call it the world saw a nipple that was clearly designed the whole thing was designed it was part of the act but if he had done that today uh mo he'd probably be accused or charged with some sort of a sexual crime so don't you think that that 
PC bullcrap has gotten a little bit out of hand in sports. Go ahead, Mo. Well, I mean, especially with the the uh, Indian thing, I, I'm so tired of white people telling other white people what minorities should be offended about. It, it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, I've never met one leprechaun who said they were offended by Notre Dame being the fighting Irish. So I just, you know, it, it, it's ridiculous at this point. Uh, you know, and, and it, it seems like we're not going to have any, any actors or anybody left in Hollywood to make movies anymore. And if, if people have done that kind of stuff, you know, and they're convicted of it, great. But I just hate the fact that you can accuse somebody of anything right now. Like if I went on Twitter today and accused Tom Brady of kissing me like he kissed his son, would Tom Brady be able to play in the Super Bowl tomorrow? I mean, you know, it's just it's so stupid nowadays. I'm so sick of it. Uh, go ahead, Eric. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I couldn't agree with everybody uh, more. Um, a lot of this is just ridiculousness. And these teams, you know, I, I, like the, I like the comments about, you know, amongst us white people, we're going to decide who's, who's supposed to be offended and who isn't. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. And just by selecting teams, you know, why, why aren't we going after the Braves? Why aren't we going after the Boston Celtics for that matter? It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Good and it's shifting the Good focus point. away, you know, and it's shifting the focus away. It's like, Look, this is sport. This is a, 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 one of the oldest forms of entertainment, one of the best forms of entertainment. It shows it highlights the human spirit. It highlights human challenge, all good things about us uh, as a people. And it's, we're, we're trying so hard to just throw it away from that these days. And it would just be great somehow, and maybe I'm just overly idealistic, but it would be great somehow to just get back to the sport, the game, all of that kind of stuff, the X's and O's or whatever sport you're talking about as opposed to focusing on the names and for crying out loud enough with this stuff about Trump and uh, players on their knees and all that kind of stuff. Look, he may have an opinion about that. And I have an opinion about that, but you know what? It's a sport. Let's not get hung up over something like that. It was a short period of time. Somebody, somebody did something. Colin Kaepernick kind of started that whole thing off. Some players latched onto it. It came and it went, let it go. So I don't know. It just seems Rick. like we're mixing politics and all these things too much in the sports these days. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I was just going to ask you a question, but go ahead. Go ahead, Rick. Oh, uh, yeah. I was just going to add you because I'm, I'm a Braves fan, and when you talk about, you know, the, the Braves logo. Well, the Braves were in Boston. They were originally called the Boston Bean Eaters and the Boston Braves. And they were called the Braves because they were after the Brave Patriot Fighters. That won us the Revolutionary War. Then moved to Milwaukee, turned it to the Native American Indian logo. I have no idea why. That's a little Braves history. Uh, that's where I was going with that. Uh, but until then, we'll take the leprechaun off the box of Lucky Charms. We'll stop selling, celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Uh, we don't want to make anybody in the world butt hurt whatsoever. Absolutely. So talking about butthurt people sports, and, and we, we talked about a little bit about this last week, Rick, and that is the AMVETS ad that the NFL refused to run uh, because it just simply said, uh, uh, please stand. Okay. Then they, they offered a, a, a compromise and said, okay, well, let's just do a print ad in the program that says uh, uh, just uh, stand. And as we know, the AMVETS have been a very uh, big part of our show, and you're a big part of the AMVETS. The AMVETS is the one that wanted to place that ad. The NFL said no. Now they're trying to backtrack a little bit. They're still not going to let them run the ad. But now what they've done is they, which believe me, I'm all for. I'm, I'm great that, grateful that the, that the veteran's going to be able to go. There's a combat uh, army veteran that's going to be out on the field to do an honorary uh, coin toss during the Super Bowl tomorrow. My point is, uh, Rick, this whole story became a non-story. should have never been a story. 
what are your thoughts on the compromise, if we want to call it that? Uh, and what are the Amphet's thoughts about them, the the uh, honorary uh, coin toss as opposed to the ad that they wanted to run? Go ahead. Well, I, I'm not sure about the thoughts on, on the coin toss, but I do know that he's an AMVETS member who's a Medal of Honor recipient. So that, that's a big deal. There ain't many of those guys. I mean, um, usually you get the Medal of Honor, be, and it's after you've already passed on because you died in the service. Well, this guy probably jumped on a grenade or something and, and still lives somehow. I mean, that's basically how you have to get the Medal of Honor. So uh, that, that, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, on the other thing, if the, the NFL is going to let the players use freedom of speech didn't take a knee, and I'm a veteran. Tom, you're a veteran. Uh, that's what we serve for. That's all been cool with me. You know, I, I can respect it. I don't agree with it, but I can respect it, and it hasn't ruined my football uh, enjoyment. So, uh, but they're going to let the players do that. I mean, they approached AMVETS for an ad. AMVETS didn't go to them. They came to us. So they should let us express our freedom of speech because we're veterans. That's what we fought for. So... That's the whole NFL thing, but I see why they didn't uh, allow that ad because they want this whole thing about taking a knee and please stand and everything. They just want this whole thing to go away because it's been ugly for over a year. It's tarnished the, the NFL. Just put a stain on the shield. So I can see why the, the NFL did what they did, but I don't really agree with it. They should just let them run the ad. Well, we're going to spend the last 10 minutes just uh, doing uh, some hodgepodge conversations. And, uh, you know, certainly we've got uh, our show tomorrow, our Super Bowl show tomorrow. Hope everybody can come back tomorrow and join us. And all we're, all we're going to be talking about tomorrow is the New England Patriots and the uh, 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 Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. Uh, certainly we do this show called The Balance every Saturday. We had racing on earlier on. And, you know, we kind of follow the seasons around. So we're going to start migrating our conversations into the NBA, into the MLB, into uh, March madness and so forth and so uh i you mentioned the boston celtics earlier uh eric so i want to start with you uh mo and then we'll go around the the, the horn if you will mo here's uh, some things to, to look at boston celtics are number one in the east uh cleveland is number three now we hear rumors and i think that's all it is that uh, lebron james uh, to uh wants to go to golden state now that's the most stupid asinine thing i've ever heard but everybody's talking about it so we're talking about it uh and then we'll we'll go around the 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 horn there because right now I tell you what who would have thought Boston would be number one in the east the Pacers are I'm okay with the way the Pacers are doing I don't think anybody expected the Pacers to do anything really exciting and uh, you got to look at Victor Owen Depot I tell you what I think that this Paul George trade uh, it really worked out to our benefit so Mo uh, we're just going to get your overall thoughts on the NBA uh, the Boston Celtics uh, uh, LeBron James and, and so forth and, and, and go ahead Mo well, you know, I think Boston's played well, and they've been a great regular season team the last couple of years. But, you know, it's still hard for me to believe that anybody beats LeBron James four games in a seven-game series. It's just – it's hard to do. I mean, regardless of who you are and how old the team is around him, and when it comes to playoff time, LeBron's a completely different animal. And, and beating that guy four games out of seven is just hard. Uh, you know, there's some injuries right now with Boston. The young guys that they have have played well, uh, and they're a fun team to watch. But – when it comes down to crunch time in the playoffs, if these two teams meet to go to the, uh, the NBA Finals, uh, you know it'll be, I think it'll be hard for them to uh, contain LeBron for four wins. Uh, as far as LeBron to the Warriors go, I think LeBron's a smart businessman. I think that he realizes that that's bad for the NBA. Uh, I don't know how they make it work because I think LeBron's finally ready to really get paid. Uh, you know he's he's 
taking less money than he needed to at times uh, to make things, different things work. Uh, you know, and I think LeBron realizes too that he can still be the king of the East. That's his easiest path to the uh, NBA Finals every year is, is playing in the East. Uh, there's a lot of tough teams in the West, but I think the thought of LeBron uh, playing with the Rockets is intriguing to him, uh, and that could be a fun matchup uh, in the West if LeBron would wind up with the Rockets. So the NBA is, is starting to get a little more exciting, and uh, it'll be fun to see what happens. This is usually the time where Cleveland struggles every year, and somehow they figure it out. But the Kevin Love injury hurts. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they can figure it out. But I, I Eric, a question for you. Here's here's the thing. Uh, you guys, if you want to put the the equation together, uh, LeBron James is to basketball that Tom Brady is to football, and it's it's ironic that really the biggest competitor that you have in the East is. Uh, again, that comparison between Tom Brady and LeBron James, the greatest that ever play, played the game. The city of Boston certainly loves the Boston Celtics, and uh, and yep. w- there's a lot of Indiana and Hoosier uh, connections uh, uh, to the the Boston Celtics. I'm a fan of the Boston Celtics, uh, but the Boston Celtics, as, as Mo mentioned, have got to figure out a way to stay number one. Le- LeBron yep. always finds a way to get there uh, to do that. So, what what are your thoughts about LeBron James and his Antics, if you will. Well, you know, a quick observation. LeBron's antics have been going a lot long, going on a lot longer than Tom Brady's. But I am a big LeBron James fan, even though I am a hometown Celtics fan through and through. I think the guy's an amazingly talented athlete. And with his ability not only to play the game the way he does at the level that he does it, but to inspire the level of play out of other players around him on his team is really incredible. So, you know, I don't blame the guy for wanting to win as well. I think it's probably a very difficult decision for him to make to leave Cleveland, um, his hometown, um, where he, you know, he came back and brought them, got them onto the map again with a, with a world championship. So, you know, it's kind of tough, but you look at the team now in disarray and how they're losing games. They're, they're, they're getting 100-point games scored against them, losing badly. And now you look at the Celtics, a young team who's scrappy and tough, and with a great coach with Brad Stevens, it's really, I think, gone above and beyond anybody's expectations for what they could possibly have done this year. I certainly didn't have expectations to think they would be this far ahead at this point and look the way they do, play as tough the way they do. But I have to agree with everybody else. It's going to be awful tough for a young team like that to go toe-to-toe against LeBron James in the finals and be able to come out ahead. That's, that's a tall order. Few have done it, if any, and I, I personally would love to see it happen, but uh, I think it's going to be a couple of years before the Celtics uh, are able to do that. But one last thing I'll comment on is this. The big difference I see this year is in the Celtics and with the Cleveland Cavaliers is one person, Isaiah Thomas. And whereas Isaiah Thomas was able to score for us and do some good things offensively, it was a hold defensively for us, and I think it cost us a lot. I also think the way he was, uh, the way he was in the locker room, could have been a bit divisive. But I also think when you look at what's going on in Cleveland and how Isaiah Thomas is fed into that, I think that's part of the equation right now. So when you look at it, I don't think the the Celtics really are going to be able to make it through. I hope they can, but I also think like Tom Brady is kind of at his sunset. I don't think we have too many more years out of LeBron as well. So perhaps that's another parallel as well. Absolutely. Well, guys, it's that time we got to get our final words of wisdom, if you will. Mo uh, got disconnected, and so we apologize that we weren't able to get his final thoughts. It, we're not going to have our balance extra that we typically do, which is our just kind of our normal online podcast 
part of stuff that we just add to the end of the podcast. Uh, that will not be on this week's show. Our typical. Uh, typically what we do is we spend another 10 or 15 minutes after we go our live stream ends and uh, just uh, kind of talk about things and miscellaneous things, and, and it's just on the podcast version. But that, since we are doing the Super Bowl special tomorrow, we're not doing that. So we'll start with you, uh, uh, Rick, final words of wisdom, and then we'll get final words of wisdom from um, Eric, and then we've got to put a, a bow on it for the day. So go right ahead, Rick. Well, I was going to add to the uh, LeBron talk, you know, uh, I grew up in the 90s, you know, middle school, high school years, early to mid-90s. Uh, Jordan will always be the greatest player of all time to me. But I, what I, I think what LeBron has done is actually a lot more impressive because uh, at the six times he's been to the finals, uh, only one year his team was the best team. That was the Heat versus the Mavericks, and Mavericks won. But that was that team. Every other time they were not the best team in the NBA. But Jordan, every time Jordan went, the Bulls were by far – the best team in the NBA. I mean, they had nothing to worry about. So uh, LeBron has took patchwork teams and took them to the finals. And to me, uh, over the Spanish career, career, that's been a far more impressive than what Michael Jordan's done. But I do believe Jordan will always be the greatest player ever. I totally agree with you 100%. Uh, Erica, what are your final, wor- uh, final words of wisdom, sir? Final words of wisdom, 24-21 Pats game is going to come down to turnovers or some type of odd play that's my final word of wisdom all right guys well we appreciate you guys joining us today my name is tom marquis l presidente uh, we're going to do this balance annual balance uh, special tomorrow 9 a.m to 11 a.m remember guys don't drink a drive it isn't cool i'm out of here deuces we'll see you tomorrow right here on the balance radio network Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.